welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Welcome to our series called Soul Detox. And I don't even think I've introduced myself yet, but I'm Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. And so, welcome. <laughs> All right. So, what is a soul detox, you might ask? Well, I guess I'm going to start by just, I guess, unpacking that a little bit before we actually talk about how to do it. But, um, you know, most of us would have some sort of idea about what a, a, a physical detox is. You know, just by virtue of being in this planet, on this world, our body accumulates stuff. Okay, the, the, the food that we eat, the atmosphere in which we live, the environment in which we live. You know, our body ingests and, and inhales and absorbs all sorts of stuff. Not only that, but in, in processing the things that come into our body, our body also creates toxins as well. And so over time, you know, we can, we can collect toxins in our body. Now, your body and my body, by and large, are pretty amazing things. And they do the job of, of detoxing itself, getting rid of the bad stuff in our bodies remarkably efficiently. But the thing is that we're living in a world that I guess is increasingly contaminated, and many of us are eating foods and, and have habits that increasingly contaminate our body. So there's a whole bunch of preservatives and things that we perhaps shouldn't be eating, and there's habits that we have, etc. So our bodies sometimes get to the point where there's more stuff coming into our bodies that is not helpful than, than we're able to get rid of. And so when that's the case, it makes great sense to have a detox. In other words, to give your body a chance to get rid of some of the junk that's building up within it. Okay, there are different ways to have a detox. I mean, you go to a chemist, you can see there's a whole bunch of um, um, vitamins and minerals and that sort of thing. They're all, all sort of labelled some, something or other de- detox, so a liver detox. And you know, the idea is that you take these things, and they're going to help your liver to, function, uh, liver to function more effectively, more efficiently, and so that's going to help you to detox and get rid of some of the toxins within your body. Another way, I guess, is to abstain from certain things. So if you're a, a chocoholic... And you know, you have too much chocolate, your body is going to perhaps begin to show some of the ill effects of too much chocolate. It might come initially through a weight, you know, excess weight, or it might be, you know, your skin breaks out. But you know, there's a time to just refrain from having certain things. So that's another way of detoxing. And you can do that, you know, for a short period or a longer period. For those that have been, you know, that have really um, perhaps been to a naturopath or a doctor and they've, they've um, identified some sort of issue in your life. Um, and they say, you know, it's because of, you've got too much of this in your body. Well, then you might go like on a three-week regimen and it will change your diet and you won't eat. So, and, you know, it can be rather challenging, not always fun, but certainly always worth it. I guess the simplest form of detox is just a fast. You know, many of us would have participated in a fast for spiritual purposes, but, you know, a fast just at a very, very base physical level is a great way just to give your body a rest and to help it get rid of some of the toxins that build up. It's, it's actually a very, very healthy thing to do. So that, that's essentially what a detox is about. Now, when it comes to our soul, you know, some people in the world actually deny the existence of a soul. They just think that you are the sum total of your physical properties. Okay, So you're just a body, you're just a very complex and wonderful machine, and there's a sense in which that's true, you are a complex and wonderful machine, and that there's nothing else beyond that. In other words, when you're dead, you're dead. That's what some people believe. But most people don't believe that. I think you know, most people, even, even people who aren't Christians, you know, even people perhaps who don't even necessarily believe or, or have a relationship with God, struggle to believe that you know, just when you're dead, you're dead. 
And, so, and certainly the Bible refutes that idea. Okay, the Bible definitely talks about this, this immaterial part of our existence, our consciousness, our mind, our emotions, etc. And, and we're going to put that in for the sake of this, this, um, this series, we're going to lump that all under this heading of the soul. Okay, some people have different theological ideas about you know, how many parts make us up and all that sort of thing. But we're just talking really just in terms of spirit, uh, sorry, body and soul today. Okay? And so we see that right at the beginning that uh, God created Adam out of the dirt. So essentially he had a clay model of a man. And if God had not gone, done anything further, he would have remained just as a, a statue on the ground. But what the Bible says is that God breathed into Adam and he became a life, a living being, a living soul. Okay, now the fact of the matter is that Adam's soul continues to live today, but his body is long gone. And likewise with you and I, we have a soul that will go on living when our bodies have well and truly worn out and have gone back to the dust from which they came. Okay, so the soul is the real you. The soul is the thing which is going to go on into eternity. Your body essentially is just like an earth suit. Okay, it's clothing, if you like, that we have while we're on this planet. And I don't want to minimize that. You know, some people minimize the importance of the spiritual, or minimize the spiritual, the physical realm, sorry. This, this body that we have is an important part of our being. It does need to be looked after, and it's critical in terms of fulfilling the plans and purposes of God here on planet Earth. Okay, so I don't want to minimize the body, but we just need to understand that the real you is not your body. Your body will pass away, your soul will leave it, and at some point in time there'll be a resurrection and we'll receive a new body through Christ. Got that? So that's the definition of a soul, that's the definition of a detox. And so the premise of this series then is that if in the physical we need to take a detox, if in the physical realm, over just through the process of, of eating and breathing and doing all the things that we do, we get contaminated, so too in the spiritual realm there's also a, a level of contamination that takes place and which sometimes we just need to take time to detox from. You know, we just come out of a series called The Deadly Seven. And, you know, we spoke about things like greed and envy and all that sort of stuff. And, this, and our society is geared towards promoting greed and envy and lust and all these sorts of things. And so your soul, the way that you think, the way that you view the world, the, the, all these, they get contaminated with that sort of thinking. And so we need to take time to, to clean ourselves up in order that we might live clean in a contaminated society. All right, so part one today of this Soul Detox series we're going to be talking about the restless soul. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the restless soul. Okay, because restlessness is like a toxin in our soul. Okay, what's restlessness? Well, it's just that inability to switch off. You know, the, when you just can't relax, you just can't be at peace. It doesn't seem no matter how much you sit down or lie down or rest or go on holiday. For some people, it's just like their, their, their brain, their, their mind, their emotions are just fizzing and they cannot switch off. Many, many people, unfortunately, live in that state of restlessness and possibly more so today than ever before just because of the busyness of the life that we're, uh, of the world that we've created. All right, so how do we purge our soul of restlessness? I mean, the ultimate cure for restlessness is to be connected back to God. Augustine, or Saint Augustine, as he's often known, said this in the 4th, 5th century. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul 
is, in, uh, is restless until it finds rest in you. And that is totally consistent with what the Bible teaches. In Psalm 62 verse 1, David says this, My soul finds rest in you alone, O God. My salvation comes from him. Nothing else can satisfy that restless churning inside that comes from being disconnected with God. I think it was um, Martin Luther spoke about you know, the God-shaped hole and people trying to fill that hole with other things. But there is no thing, there is no relationship, there is no achievement on this planet that will settle down that restless churning that a person has inside who is not connected back to God. Okay, so that's, the, that's big picture stuff. You know, Jesus said this, Matthew 11, chapter 28, uh, chapter 11, verses 28 to 29. He says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Talks about finding rest for our souls. And so that's, that's big picture stuff. You know, if your soul is restless, get connected to God. Give your life over to Jesus. But I'm sitting in a room of people who I know many of you, maybe even all of you, have made that decision where you've yielded yourself to God. But still, if I was to take a survey, I reckon there'd be plenty of restlessness in this room. So just becoming a Christian isn't necessarily the answer. It's the start of the answer. But what I want to look at today is, okay, how do we maintain that place of peace in our spirit as opposed to becoming too, too uptight and too caught up in the pace of life? And so some practical things that I want to help us, that hopefully will help us today to detox ourselves of restlessness and to rediscover the peace that God ultimately intends for us, irrespective of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Right, so the first thing is just this, stop. Take time out. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And it kind of, you know, that's got a nice ring to it. And often we think about it as God just soothingly saying, be still and know I am God. But the context is actually God having put all of his enemies down, having stopped the wars, destroyed all the weapons. He's saying, be still. <laughs> Oi, you lot, cut it out. Be still. That's going to happen ultimately. But we don't want to wait. I don't know about you. I don't want to wait till then before I get connected back to God. I want to be able to live in that place of daily stillness where I sense God's con my connection with God and the peace that he intends me to have right now rather than wait till the world comes to an end. Busyness, as I've said, is the curse of this age. There's always another job to do. There's always another appointment to keep. There's always something else to strive to buy or to listen to or, or to test or some other extreme activity to get involved in. There's always stuff going on. And the problem is, like I said, that with all that stuff going on, it's not just our bodies that get uptight. It's, it goes deep and our soul begins to race and we have trouble switching off. David learnt the secret of slowing down and just being content with God and in God. In Psalm 131 verse 2, he says this, But I have stilled and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that vision or that, that picture that David is painting of the weaned child, I think it's supposed to convey to us a sense of contentedness. I mean, we've all been around unwe unweaned children. 
you know, sometimes a little bit embarrassing. You're sitting there over the dinner table and someone's got a little baby with them and the baby's kind of crying and restless and grabbing and groping and trying to rip a breast out and get You know, it's like, please. Anything but contentment, anything but rest and peace when that's going on. And David's saying, no, I used to be like that with God. I used to all be about what God can give me and what God can get me. But now I'm just content to be in his presence. He says, I have stilled my soul. And again, the thing I love about that, and I think perhaps the thing that we sometimes don't get, is that we can have something to do with this. This is our responsibility. You know, we like to put everything on God. God, give me peace. But just carry on as busy as ever. There's a good chance you're not going to find peace in a busy life where there's no adjustments made. But David said, I have stilled my soul. I have prioritised my time with God. I've done something about it. And the result of that is this contentment. And so there's some things that we can do. It's our responsibility to purge our souls of restlessness. It's our responsibility to find a time and a place in our day to get rid of the distractions and the things that are so demanding in our life and to be still before God. Jesus In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read this of Jesus, that early in the morning, while it was still dark, he went and found a solitary place. And we read that that was his habit, that with all the clamorings, all the popularity of Jesus, it was very difficult for him to get time alone. He could have been excused, I guess, for sleeping in the morning because of the massive day he'd had before that went into a massive night. People were clamouring to be healed and delivered and be taught and all that sort of thing. But Jesus recognised, I've got a big day ahead. I cannot do without my time in the Father's presence. I need to be refreshed. I need to be energised. My, my soul needs to be rested before I hit the clamour of the day. And we see that even times, you know, when Jesus was trying to that, people were still trying to chase him down. But the point is, if Jesus, the Son of God, need to prioritise this time to be still in his Father's presence. How much more do we? You know that most of the stress, most of the worry, most of the doubt that you and I carry at times in our life, I think it just all boils down to this. It is just purely a lack of connection with God. I'm not saying we've lost our salvation. That I'm just saying that the reality of the relationship. It's like when you're married. You know, you can get so caught up that you're living under the same roof with the person that you love and have given your life to for the rest of life, but you can just be like ships in the night. There's no real connectedness. And many of us can do our relationship with God like that if we're not careful. God still loves us, and we still love God, but there's no reality in terms of the relationship, and therefore we don't get the benefits of the relationship. So the first thing then is to prioritise finding a time Finding a place. Jesus did it early in the morning, and that's probably as good a place to start as any. Because once the day starts, if your day's anything like mine, it starts with a vengeance, and it doesn't stop until you hit the pillow at night. So having made a time to be still, what next? Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. So the second thing, in terms of detoxing our soul from this restlessness, is just to wait patiently. This stillness that we're talking about is not the stillness of rest. You know, we've all known that. The moment we slow down, slow down we fall asleep. But that's not what we're talking about, okay? We're talking about the stillness in order to encounter God. And you know the thing about waiting? One really, really frustrating thing about waiting is just by its very nature, it takes time. 
It takes time. It's one thing to make a time to meet with God. You might say, well, you know, my normal habit of getting up is to be up at 6.30 so I can be at work by 8 o'clock or whatever. Then you become a Christian and say, well, I'm going to make 6.30 my time with God. And so you've made a time. But have you allowed enough time? Because that's, that's vitally important. Just having a time means nothing. What is it? 6 till 6.01? Or, you know, there's probably not a lot of development in your relationship with God is going to take place during that very, very small time if that's all we've got. I mean, you think about this. You know, if you want to go and see a doctor, you make a time. You're feeling sick, so you're in the doctor, and the doctor says, I can see you, or the doctor's receptionist says, I can see you today at three o'clock. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> you've got a time. But if you're getting away from work or whatever, you know, you've got to have enough time. You've got to allow time. Time to wait, unfortunately. And then time for the appointment, it takes time. Is it any different with our time with God? We've got to allow enough time. You know, there's no point getting up to the doctor's surgery at four o'clock and if you're not in there by 4.01, oh, I'm leaving. You don't get any benefit from that. Or likewise, you know, you might wait half an hour and the doctor says, I can see you now. I say, no, sorry, I've got to go. You don't get any benefit from that. You don't even get any benefit from walking out of the appointment halfway through. It's about the whole thing. It's about waiting as long as you need to. Sometimes you, think you get really clever and you think, I know what I'll do. He's always an hour late. I'll rock up an hour late. And sometimes it's too late. And then you've got to wait again. <laughs> like, that's frustrating. But the point is we've got to allow enough time for anything of significance to take place in the natural, never mind our relationship with God. You know, God wants us to be with him, essentially. He's not there as our you know, heavenly fortune cookie type thing, just to give us this word for the day. You know, but he wants to spend time with us. Again, as a husband and wife, it's, it's great just to sit together, quietly just enjoy one another's company. And out of that, you know, great conversation and all that. It's, a bit, it's nice just to be together. And sometimes God just wants us to be with him without anything else going on. You know, scoffing down a few Bible verses as you run out the door to get to work, you know, along with your breakfast. That's, that's not really the way to build a healthy anything. Not a healthy relationship, marriage. Certainly not to fulfill your purposes in God and become the person that God intends you to be. So how do we wait? What sort of attitude should we adopt as we wait? Again, bring it back to the, the waiting room scenario in the doctors. Are we sitting there resentful, spewing, complaining and whinging? Oh, this doctor, he takes so long, never on time. We've got one of those doctors, but he's awesome. Because it's the fact that you're always late is because he cares. He's not just one of those... See you for 30 seconds, write out a script, now get out of my office, I've got more money to make. But he, he, like if, if you're not the f- first person off the rank, after that you're probably going to be half an hour late. From like, when he starts, he starts at 8, if you're not 8 o'clock, if you've got an 8.15 appointment, you're not going to get in until probably quarter to 9, because he just cares for people, he, he talks, he wants to know how you're doing. And I just think that's part of the therapy. Yeah. So if I'm sitting there, I mean, it can be a little bit annoying waiting for him, but I can take the other thing and say, well, I really appreciate the fact I can actually get in to see a doctor 
Lots of places in the world you can't actually go and see a doctor, even if you want, even if you've got all the money in the world, you just can't physically see one in a certain amount of time. And so we can go and see a doctor so easily. We get the benefit of their skills and we can sit there with an expectation of getting better because we know that they know their stuff. We know that by and large, they're going to be able to prescribe something that's going to help us get over what we're struggling with, hopefully. And so we sit there expectantly. We sit there appreciatively, hopefully. How how do we wait on God? Are we resentful of the fact that God would dare require five minutes of my time a day? Never mind 15 or half an hour or something like that. It seems so difficult, doesn't it, sometimes to squeeze God into our day? Psalm 130 verse 5 and 6 says this, I wait on the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And again, there's, a, there's a, like a double emphasis on that. You think about, I mean, the picture here is, is guards, soldiers, waiting on a city wall. It's dark. It's the time when, I guess, the enemies are most likely to take advantage of the situation. And so there's a, there's a nervousness, there's a tenseness, because every little noise, it could be something dangerous. And so there's just an anticipation of the, first, of the, the sun peeking over the, the hills because it's, it says it's the end of the shift. It says we, we can see what's going on. We can feel safe again. And so the psalmist is saying, I, I wait for God more than that. I mean, you think about, you know, you're a, you're a shift worker working down at Holden's or something and you've just started your shift and like you're waiting for the end of the shift. Maybe you're doing a, a really long shift. Maybe you're a teacher. And you've just got one of those days where it's like class after class after class is at the class that no one really looks forward to teaching. It's like you're waiting for the end of the day. And, and the psalmist is saying, yeah, but I wait for God more than that. That's the level of anticipation I have to get time with God. Far different, like I said, than that attitude of, you know, oh, do I have to do that? I haven't got time. Doesn't God understand how busy I am? And it's not just about that time either. You know, because waiting and patience, I'm not just talking about, you know, I want to hear from God in my devotional time in the morning. But sometimes there are things that don't just, aren't just fixed in 5, 10, 15, 20 or 30 minutes. Sometimes you don't just get your answer in that time that you, in your... Kindness to God have set aside for him. But sometimes there are things that take days or weeks or months to unfold. And again, part of it's the process because God is making kids out of us. He's taken us from being sport little brats who want it all and want it now. And he's developing the character and nature of Christ. And part of that is this process of waiting. And so things don't always happen. Things don't always become apparent straight away. And so we need to adopt that level of patience just in our, in our devotional time, as it's often called, but also just in the, in the circumstances and the issues of life, you know, when we're waiting for healing, we're waiting for a partner, or we're waiting for God to bring his vengeance on such and such a scenario, whatever it is, but just to wait patiently. Because so much of what God does in your life and my life, and indeed his dealings throughout the world, is about processes. You know, we just want events. We want God to heal, we want God to deliver, we want God to just fix this, do that, get me. And often it's a process because God's doing something in us in the midst of it. And so that's my second point. Being still, then waiting, and finally, while we're being still, 
and waiting. Psalm 116, verse 7 to 9 says this, Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk in the land of the living. And so the third part, really, is just about reflecting on God's goodness. You know, we're not just trying to create this vacuum into which any old thing can fall, but we're about focusing on God. And I don't know about you, but I find that is much, 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 much easier said than done. I mean, who has ever done this sort of thing where you think, it's a beautiful day outside, God is good, I'm at peace with the world, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to have the most awesome time with God. I've got time on my hands, the kids are out, Sally Ann's out, and I've got this next hour or two, it's just God's time. And so you trot out to the backyard and you set your feet up on a, on a chair and you open your Bible, realise it's a little bit bright, you know, get your sunglasses. <laughs> Just about to get into it, you look up and you see the cobwebs under the eaves. And then you realise that the paint on the eaves is cracking. Have you ever, and then you look down and the grass needs cutting. And it's just like, oh, and your mind starts to race again. And you've intentionally set time aside. That's the world we live in, folks, and we've got to train our minds. We need to be determined. And so maybe if you're like that, and I am, you know, have, have your phone with you, have a bit of pen and paper. Just jot down those things so you don't forget them. You can get onto them later. But don't be distracted. Into, I'll, just, I'll just dust off those cobwebs and I'll just quickly paint that gutter and then I'll give God my time. It just will never happen. So is this, is this sounding like the real world? Okay, good. So we need to focus. And again, there's a whole bunch of different ways to focus. I mean, you can just begin to reflect on the things that you already know about God because you've read the Bible for some period of time and you've got a fair clue of his character and his attributes and his names. And so you can begin to roll through those things in your mind. Or maybe, maybe you can put on some music and just begin to listen and reflect as, as you know, the songs are just played. Maybe you can just roll back over your life and think about, yeah, when God has been good to me. And I remember when I was saved and what I came out of. And I can remember when we were struggling financially and God was faithful and met my needs. I can remember this and I can remember that. But it's just about taking a conscious effort to put out all the other stuff that wants to crowd in and just say, God, this is about you. You are good. And I just want to take some time reflecting on your goodness. Remember the thing we talked about is a restless soul. Restlessness is about worry, it's about stress, it's about fear, it's about uncertainty, it's about all that sort of stuff. But as we get our understanding of God enlarged and, and sharp again in our thinking, suddenly all those things that seem so big and, and overwhelming and daunting, and all, they just take their right place. And the restlessness is replaced with the peace of God, which passes all understanding. So what's the source of your restlessness? If it's financial strain and stress, I would be taking time to reflect on the fact that God is a provider, that he will meet our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And maybe think about the times when he's already done that in the past. Look to the scriptures and see how God has met needs before. Maybe it's just a sense of, I'm just feeling unworthy. I know what I'm like. I know the stuff-ups I've had, etc., etc. And you just, you know, the devil's on your case trying to make you feel miserable and unworthy. Well, again, it's not about you. It's about what Christ has done. It's about the bigness of God's love. It's about the graciousness of, of his compassion. It's about 
his sacrifice. And so reflect on those things and suddenly that sense of unworthiness, that guilt, that shame that causes restlessness can be replaced with the peace of God and the love and the acceptance of God. Uncertainty about the future. Again, Jesus spoke so much about the future and he is absolutely and utterly 100% in control. And he's got your life in the palm of his hands and he wants to direct your life in order that you might live a life that brings him glory and honour. So we don't need to stress about the future because God's got it already. And so I don't know about you, but just these practical things, there's going to be others that we're going to look at over the course of the next week or two. But you know, just these practical things, I think if we will make time, if we will take responsibility, David said, I have stilled my soul. We can't just wait for God to break in. Sometimes by his grace, he does break in. Sometimes... He breaks in, but there's consequences attached because we've waited too long. Let's take responsibility for our walk with God. Let's begin to prioritise Him. Like I said at the start, detoxing a restless soul starts with connecting with God. It's impossible outside of Christ to know true peace. You can do enjoyable things and you can distract yourself for seasons in relationships or achievements or new toys or going to wonderful places and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, when you lay your head down at night, are you restless or are you at peace knowing that all is well? That's the starting place. Beyond that, it needs to be maintained. And so let's take time in our busy lives. And again, most of us, I think, aren't struggling with slothfulness as we spoke about last week. But most of us are just busy, busy, busy. This world is demanding of us and and we're just busy. So let's take time to stop. Let's take time to wait. And let's take time to reflect on God's goodness. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.